it really is a joy to be here. I've always enjoyed bringing God's word here. Uh, I love the, the intimacy that we have here. And uh, uh, so it's, it's a delight to be here. I, I know it was a sad occasion in some sense, the loss of a dear father. And uh, I asked Ken, I said, was he a believer? He says he's with the Lord. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters. I recently did a funeral that I was kind of doing as a favor for someone. And I didn't know the man. And you always have to kind of wonder, you know, what was the person's status? Because if it's a Christian's funeral, you have so much hope and so much comfort. Um, and so in this case, we can say it's just for a time. The separation is just for a time. It'll be like a blink of an eye in the light of eternity. Although it's very grievous now, it's hard. I've lost parents. I've lost loved ones. And yet, Dan, you know, in, in, in a short while, you'll be reunited by God's grace. So it is a great joy to be here, and uh, I'd like to pray for our time of hearing the word read as well as preaching, so let me pray for us. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Father, we ask that you would cause these words to be true even now, as we have already sung your praises, as we have lifted our eyes to you, as we've called upon your name. We ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us as we consider your word, that you would subdue us, that that wonderful, gracious lordship of Christ would be more and more uh, our rule, that we would have uh, greater defeat over the world, the flesh, and the devil through your son, Jesus Christ and that we might be conformed to the image of his Son. So we do ask that you would bless the hearing of your word and the preaching of your word with your spirit now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to the letter to the Hebrews. I'll read a portion of Hebrews chapter 10, 1 to chapter, uh, one, uh, chap, uh, verse 1 to verse 25. Hear the word of the living God. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you, you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after, uh, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, 
I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is the word of God. As we look at the letter to the Hebrews, it is an incredible book, as all the rest of the scriptures are. Incredible warnings, sober warnings that uh, could trouble someone in their faith. And yet, as we go through the book of Hebrews, as you're able to go through the book of Hebrews, it is a gift from God. It is a gift from God to make sure that our foundations are firm, to make sure that we really are in Christ, that we really are trusting in Christ. I read recently in my daily reading about King uh, Hezekiah and how he clung to the Lord. That was his glory. That's why he was lifted up so high. He clung to the Lord no matter what. And he went to him with all his difficulties. What a great uh, thing to be said of one. But that's what we're called to do as well, is to cling to the living and true God and his son Jesus Christ all the time, no matter what is going on in our lives. And so this, uh, this letter that we don't know who wrote it, we don't know who wrote this letter, which seems odd, and yet it's got so much light. It gives us so much light into uh, the life of the Christian in this world. We, we need to heed it. There is so much light. We don't need to know who the writer is, necessarily. We may in time find out in God's providence. We know in the Gospel of John, when Jesus appeared to his, uh, his, his apostles on the beach, we knew there was 153 fish. 153 fish. We know that detail because the Holy Spirit wants us to know that detail. As John was an eyewitness of the events that he, that he was a part of. And we should be encouraged that the God of the whole creation is the God of every detail of our life as well. And yet we don't know who wrote the letter to the Hebrews. Absolutely. And yet it's not necessary. Because the light that it shows is, necess- is all we need according to God's infinite wisdom. And so this audience that he writes to, from the best information I've seen, this group started out as a Dead Sea Scroll sect uh, who left the uh, temple worship uh, with all the corruption, and they wanted to be pure, they wanted to be holy. And they had this idea, this is their theology, from what I understand, they thought there would be a, a Messianic king that would come in time. And then on top of that, there would be a Messianic priest who would be over them, over him. And then on top of that, there would be angels. Everything would be submitted to the Archangel Michael. And so when you hear those words, you think, what is going on? What is that? It's horrible theology. And yet in time, it sounds like some of these people were converted, and they started to follow Christ. And as they started to follow Christ, there was persecution. And they wanted to go in reverse gear. They wanted to go back to their theological baggage because it would be less persecution, less suffering. And the letter to the Hebrews says, you've got to keep going. You've got to push on in Christ. You can do this. No matter how difficult things are, you can do this. If you read further on in the book of of Hebrews, in the next chapter, chapter 11, called the Hall of Fame of Faith, some people had wonderful answers to prayer, wonderful things that we would want in this life. And yet others were sawn in two. That faith led them to that. It led them to lose their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this pastor, writer, what does he do? He exposes their sins. 
He demonstrates their errors, and he keeps bringing their face back to Christ. He brings their eyes back to Christ. He puts Christ before their eyes in vivid color, in vivid imagery, in vivid precision. The things that they thought they understood about the Old Testament, he says, you're you're wrong, and I'm going to show you why. And one of those things was the sacrificial system, the sacrificial system, and also the the frequency of the priest, what the priest did. And so I'd like to look at this passage under two points. The title was Essential Clear Thinking. And we want to think clearly about the sacrifices that were mentioned in this passage, as well as the priesthood, the sacrifices in the priesthood. First, the animal sacrifices, verses 1 to 4, 6, the beginning of uh, verse 6 and the beginning of verse 8. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would, have no, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then verse 6, in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Beginning of verse 8, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. And these are offered according to the law. The blood of bulls and goats were never made to take away our sins eternally. They were part of the theocracy, part of the system of the select people of God, of Israel, the, the, the people group who out of all the world, out of all the world, God set his love upon them and gave them his laws and his oracles. He gave them prophet after prophet after prophet. While the rest of the world walked in darkness, there's no comparison. As I've read through the Old Testament, at one point, I believe it's in Leviticus, Moses says, you're not to be like the people that you came out of in Egypt. And you're not to be like the people you're going to that you're going to dispossess. You're a holy people. And then he goes through a list of sexual sins. And as I read that, I was dawned on me. It's like, the Egyptians practice these things. And the people that he's going to are practicing these things. But you are not to practice these things. Because you are a holy people. And as the other nations groped in darkness, Israel had the light of of God's word, the unique privileges that Paul bemoans in Romans 9. Why didn't they come? Why didn't they see this? It's there all along. Privilege after privilege after privilege. And yet, the the blood of bulls and goats were never to take away real sins. Even though they were commanded by the word of God. And they were to do this. They were there for a purpose, but not to take away sin in the ultimate sense for all eternity. Not in such a way that we could draw near to God ourselves. The high priest could draw near once in a year. And not without blood. It wasn't his own blood. And he went into a small space, and that was a holy place. The holy of holies. Just in reason, does it make sense that an animal's blood could take away our sins? 
an animal's blood for the sins of man? There's no comparison. If you'll grant me a little humor, I've been serving in over a, a couple churches over the last year. Since uh, January and February, I was at Christ Reformed. I had a wonderful time preaching there with those, those folks. And then since then, I've been in Warrington, Virginia. I, I couldn't even have told you where Warrington, Virginia was on a map. No disrespect to them. I love the town. I love the area. It's incredibly beautiful. And while I was there, they have these little towns. They have these little coffee shops. You know, there's a lot of money you don't see uh, behind the scenes there. Maybe that's why it's so beautiful. They kept development out or something. It's a glorious, beautiful place. And so I went to this coffee shop that doubled as a bike shop. And I said, hey, I got this Schwinn, 1972 Schwinn Continental. What do you think? Is that worth anything? He's like, eh. Is it sentimental value? I said, well, kind of. He said, otherwise. And he had probably, you know, bikes that were worth thousands of dollars. And if I said, well, look, can we just do a straight-up trade? I'll give you my Schwinn for that one right there on the rack. It's $2,000. You say, you're crazy. Are you out of your mind? Or if I, let's say I took my bike, I went to the local Rolls-Royce dealer. I said, you know, I, I saw those new Rolls-Royces with the, the stars in the ceiling. I'd like to have one of those. Will you trade it in? I'll give you my Schwinn for that Rolls-Royce. Are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? Or think about it on another practical level. Would you trade your child in for an animal? It's a horrific thought. It's, it's, it's a horrific thought. There's no comparison. There's no comparison. The wonderful creatures that we sang about in our, our song so far, God's wise creation of all the created order, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the creatures in the sea, all his wonderful creation. He put man over top of them. But man was created in God's image. So how can a, the blood of bulls and goats take care of our sins? They can't. They can't. There's no way. But that raises a question. Well, well, why did God say to do it? What was the purpose? This is going to be like a shocking. Was God trying to jerk their chain? You have to ask this kind of question sometimes. And the answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. What God and his tender mercies and his kindness to Israel was doing is saying, I'm going to give you pictures. I'm going to give you types. And you're going to be trained over and over and over again. If you've ever seen the movie Karate Kid, the, the original, and you remember Daniel wants to learn karate. So he goes to Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi has him washing cars. He says, you got to do it the right way, man. you got to do it the right way. He tells him to wax, wax the cars. You got to do it the right way. And Daniel's kind of fed up. He's like, well, I came to learn karate. And he does a little move, and instinctively, Daniel does it. He knows what to do. Mr. Miyagi was a wise teacher, and that's fantasy. <laughs> but God is infinitely wise. And through all the history of mankind, through Israel, what was he doing? He was giving them the privilege of the one who would come and take away sins forever. That's what he was doing. The whole testament is a testament to the one who would come, whose blood would take away sin. And God knows what he's doing. And some got it back then. They knew that, no, this is not it. It's pointing forward. Because we know this can't be it because we're doing it repeatedly. We're doing this thing over and over again. 
but they look forward with faith to the promise, just as we're looking for the sun to return. That's our next important event is the sun's return. That's what we're waiting for. And so Israel was privileged. That seems like a dirty word nowadays, but we all have privileges of one sort or another. We all do. I didn't grow up in a, a musical family. I knew people who grew up in a musical family. You know, I'm sure Nate's kids are a lot further ahead than I was, you know, just because they grew up in a musical family. That's just one advantage. That's just one privilege. And remember, Israel didn't receive God's love because they deserved it. It was because he just set his love upon them. Election at work in the nations. And so Israel had these incredible, glorious pictures. And so let me just stop there. Do you read the Old Testament with awe and wonder, <laughs> knowing that somehow this is pointing me to Jesus Christ in fuller measure? It's telling me something about the Lord way in the past where God revealed things over and over to them that no other nation knew about. No other nation knew about. And I know this congregation is big on worship. I can tell. <laughs> you worship with wisdom. You worship with understanding. And it's more than that in some sense, but you have to have the truth. And when we think about who the God of the Old Testament was, you can glory in that. That's yours as a Christian. You may not have been a Jew, but now it's for all the nations. It's a treasure for all the nations. The whole Old Testament is a treasure for all the nations. And so there's no surprise, there's no surprise that the blood of bulls and goats, creatures that man must have dominion over, cannot take away their sins. There's no surprise. There's no surprise. But then what, what can take away our sins? What can cause us to draw near? There's just one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 5 to 6. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. It's kind of an understatement. The whole Old Testament is speaking of Christ in types, in pictures, in forms. And then he comes in the fullness of time, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, this, these words I just read should cause us to pause and worship with awe and wonder. I just got done going on a two-week trip. I haven't been on a two-week trip in 20 years. My kids got to go on the grand tour with Rockridge. You know, I was hoping to go with my last, with my last child. It didn't work out. My wife's been two, two and a half times. She broke her ankle, I think, and had to come home. So. But all to say, I thought of this as my grand tour. We drove to Memphis. I have two daughters living together to teach, go to the same church there in Memphis. My oldest daughter, Anna, had a week off, and we spent time with her for the first week. And we'd walk over the Mississippi from, from uh, Tennessee to Arkansas and back. Needed to get some exercise, trying to lose some weight. Three days in a row, beautiful. As I'm walking across, I see the skyline. I see the pyramid, not the pyramids, but, you know, they have a pyramid in Memphis. And uh, just beauty. You know, the Mississippi is not as beautiful as the Chesapeake, I know. But it was beautiful. You know, not as beautiful as the Severn or the tributaries. I know that. Okay? <laughs> uh, but it was beautiful. And 
beautiful sky. We, the Lord was so kind to us. It seemed like every hot place we went to, he gave us cool weather. It was incredible. So we get done. We're going to fly to L.A. to see my oldest son, who's in L.A. Go to the airport. You know, I'm all ready to roll. It's like, your plane's been canceled. <laughs> I was part of that, that, that airline thing, you know. I was there for four hours trying to get to Phoenix to get to L.A. It didn't work. It's okay. We're okay. You know, no big deal. I enjoyed God's providence. I enjoyed his sovereignty. Finally get to L.A. I get out of the airport. There's, in, in Ontario, there's a mountain. I say, man, it's beautiful. This is so beautiful. While I'm there, my son takes us to the beaches, Laguna Beach, up to Manhattan Beach. I see the sun setting during dinner on the Pacific. I'd, I'd never, I'd never uh, been to the Pacific Ocean. I should have put my foot in. I should have done that. I didn't do it. If I really thought about it, I should, go to, I should take a quick trip in the morning to the Atlantic Ocean, dip my toe in, get on the plane, go to there, dip my toe in. You know where I was this morning? I was on the Atlantic Ocean, dipping my feet in. I'm dipping in the Pacific now. You know? If I had thought about it, I would have done that, but I didn't have the presence of mind. So we went up to Joshua Tree, up in the mountains, beautiful, cool weather again. Come back to Memphis, we drive home, we go through the Blue Ridge Mountains. The leaves are changing. Glorious beauty, glorious beauty, I love it. You know, people lined up to get onto the Blue Ridge Parkway. And I thought about, this is God's creation. This is God's creation. This is the beauty that we just sang about earlier. And it makes me think about this, these verses that I love in Colossians, Colossians 1. He, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. This is our Lord Jesus Christ, that the whole glory, as we've already sung and, and sung about the creation giving glory to God, is our God, is our Lord Jesus Christ. He has all these things. I, I'm not ashamed to say as I was meditating on this this morning, as I was working on this sermon, I've, I've preached this sermon before, but I started weeping. I started weeping at the, the incredible kindness and love of God, that he would send his son who dwelled with the Father and with the Holy Spirit without a body for a while. But if there were going to be any human saved, there had to be a body, man for man. Image for image. And I started thinking of hymns. You know, Nate was talking about Advent hymns. And there's, I just want to read a few lines. You know, I hope you don't mind. I mean, I hope it's for your, your edification. They just strike me and are glorious. When I survey the wondrous cross, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. It's not mine. But it was his. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. We just read it in Colossians. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You could sing that hymn for Hebrews every day. And what the writer is trying to bring forth to his hearers and to get him to do things they could not do in their own, but they can in Christ. Or how, how about, alas, and did my Savior bleed? Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man 
The creature's sin. The creature's sin. Of course the blood of bulls and goats wouldn't work. You need a man. You need somebody who was like the second Adam. But if you looked at mankind since the fall, it was all ruined goods. Ruined goods from beginning from the fall to our day to the future. There's no one who would qualify to take away our sins. We were without hope. And what happens? The Father sends the Son in the likeness of man, in human flesh. He who knew no sin became sin for us. An amazing, amazing reality and truth of the Word of God. And finally, thou who was rich beyond all splendor, thou who was rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake became as poor. Thrones for a manger didst surrender. Sapphire paved courts for a stable floor. Thou who was rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake became as poor. Thou who art God beyond all praising, all for love's sake became as man, stooping so low, lower than the angels for a while. But sinners raising heavenward by thine eternal plan, thou who art God beyond all praising, all for love's sake became as man. This is the gospel. This is the word of God. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. The world was already under his condemnation. There is a day of wrath that has been stored up, and God is still being patient. He is still being patient. We live in a world that is under the tsunami to come of God's wrath. And now is the day of salvation. And now is the day to come to Christ. And now is the day to hide in the ark of Christ. And not to wait. I'm supposed to preach this evening at Bowie. The Lord might say, Steve, you know what? You're done serving me. You're not going to make it tonight. And I say, yes, Lord. Thank you for this privilege. I've lost loved ones. My father, I recently went to the f- a funeral home where I, it was the last time I talked to my dad. A friend of mine, his father had passed. My dad went to the earlier viewing. Between the next viewing, my dad and I talked. And I went to the viewing. And I started thinking about my dad. What would I say at my dad's funeral? Things like that. The next day, my dad died. It was the last day I ever talked to my dad. God's providence, God's wisdom. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And so we cannot presume, but today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. God has provided the perfect sacrifice, his very own son, the son of God who was out spot or blemish. That's our problem. We have spots and blemishes of sin. Every mankind under, after the fall, except for Jesus, except for Jesus who took on human flesh, who lived a perfect life, who overcame the world, the flesh, and the devil, who died and rose again, and is reigning at the right hand of the Father right now. So we have a wonderful sacrifice. The sacrifice of bulls and goats would never have done. We need to understand, you know, God wasn't, wasn't unkind. I knew somebody was upset with how God dealt with Abraham. They were professing, and then they had a problem with how God had put Abraham lifting his knife about to 
to kill his son in obedience to the very word of God. And God says, stop. And she said, how could, God, how could God do that to him? How could God put him through that? You know what God was doing? He was revealing what he was going to do with his own son. Abraham was his friend. And he was revealing to him what would be the storyline of the one to come. But he wouldn't withhold his knife. He would let the world do as it did in his preordained plan. His preordained plan. And so God was very kind. When we read the Old Testament, think of it as, which it is, is God's light to Israel. There are privileges that they even sinned against over and over again. And yet it did not stop God from accomplishing his good work in Christ. So those are the sacrifices. And now the last point, very briefly. Let's, let's think about clearly about the priesthood, verses 11 to 14. Let me get back to Hebrews. I got all excited about Colossians. Let me get back to Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 11 to 14. I'm sorry, 11 to 14. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And then verse 18 where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Many of us have grown up with, with sayings over the years. One of them is, a mother's work is never done. Okay, that applies to pretty much everybody in your callings. And I know what that means. You know, you clean one thing, they make a mess, you've got to clean it again. You make a mess, you've got to clean it again. And I know sometimes we get our children to start learning responsibility and they start doing it. But there's just some things moms do, right? Or dads do. But there's this repeated nature to those things. Or we think about the saying, I won't sit down until I'm finished. I won't sit down until I'm finished. I really appreciate those people because they're not going to give up till they're done. They're not going to give up till they've done it. And we see in the Levitical priest, they were standing all the time. You see, it's in the verse. Person one would come on to do his shift and he would be done with his shift after standing. And then the next priest would come in and stand and do his shift. And the next priest would come and do his shift. And there was always that repeated nature. And they would say, this is, not, this is not taking our sins. But this is what God wants us to do. You know? When Jesus does his work, he sits down. I haven't been here in over, well, a year. Jesus Christ hasn't changed in a year. I, I may, hopefully I'm losing weight. I, I actually am losing some weight. I'm trying to lose 100 pounds. Okay, that's my goal. Some of my young friends here, I bet you've, you've grown inches over the last year. Some of them have come in to be parts of the covenant family over the last year. Many, many events. Some of the children lost teeth. Other children gained teeth. Jesus hasn't changed. Hasn't changed. He's the same. He's still seating at the right hand of the Father. And the word is going out in the church. The body is to proclaim the finished work of Christ. It's done. It is done. And so Jesus sits at the right hand of God until it's time for him to return. And he will return. And all the faithful promises of the Old Testament, we should be feeding our souls on that. It's like spiritual steroids. And the steroids, from my understanding, were, were created for a really good reason, but people misused them. But they were, they were there to heal people who had been in war. And it's like, 
The Word of God is the spiritual steroid of the Holy Spirit, if I can say it that way. It's there to heal us and grow us and nurture us and strengthen us against the world, the flesh, and the devil. But he's, it's finished. It's finished. You cannot add one iota to it. It's just to be received by faith. And let me just stop. I'm, I'm really pretty much finished here. But, you know, we have our own works we try to add into things. Rather than just the finished work of Christ. You know, we, we sin and we think we have to, to do a, a, a flight circle around the airport before we can come to Christ. Why don't we just come to Christ? It's finished. There's no benefit in waiting. All you're doing is prolonging the forgiveness of your sins because you had nothing to do with the, the payment of it. God did it and his son. Or other things where you have to feel like, I have to get in a certain frame before I come before the word of God. And we, we want to be settled. We want to think carefully, but just come. Just come. Don't wait. Don't wait. He's already done it. And I, I, I assume that to our last breath, we'll need to hear this over and over. Because the gospel is not just for the, those outside of Christ. It's for those who are in Christ. The baggage that we have from our years of sin or bad theology have to be clarified and, and uh, put back into alignment by the word of God. And so hopefully every time we hear the word, God by his spirit changes us and he changes our thinking. He renews our minds, as Paul says. And so we have a wonderful savior. His blood has taken away all that we need in regards to the forgiveness of our sins. It's just to be received by faith. And we have a savior who has done his work. It is finished and we proclaim it now to the world and to one another, whether in song, the reading of the word, or the preaching of the word, it is finished. Last, last thing to think about. Our text tells us that there was a constant reminder of sin. Because every time they went to do the next shift, they realized this is not doing it. But God has given us a glorious meal. And he says, remember me. We come as those who are still sinning and hopefully being transformed into the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our affections themselves are changing to do what God wants by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, remember this. If you have your sins and confess them, bring them into the light. But don't forget, I've done it. I have paid for it, and you cannot repeat it. Rejoice in the finished work of Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, your word is like gunpowder. When rightly understood, it explodes. And if, as men and women and children have come to your word, they've been born again because your word is all-powerful. It still speaks. It will continue to speak until you send your Son. So Father, we ask that as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, as we uh, go through this next week, which may be cut short, because you may be pleased to send your son. May we be found clinging and waiting for your son with expectant joy and holiness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.